And we're going to turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And in a moment, I will read 1 Thessalonians 2, verses 1 to 12. If there are any kids here who haven't got a kid sheet, I can see Ben's got some there. Just raise your hand and he will bring some round to you. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And reading verses 1 to 12. And just before I read, let's pray together. Lord, we believe that you speak to us through your word. So as we come to read this section of Thessalonians now, we ask that you would speak to us. Please be with Matt as he comes to preach. Give him a real sense of truth and of clarity of authentic ministry. Lord, speak to us now, I pray. Amen. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, reading verses 1 to 12. You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know. But with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please people, but God, who tests our hearts. You know we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else. Even though as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority. Instead, we were like young children among you. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. I'm going to keep, there we go. Morning, everyone. Um, Let's pray again just as we come to God's word. Let's pray once more. Our gracious and loving Heavenly Father, we we saw last week how the Thessalonians received your word in the power of the Spirit and with great joy. Father, please help us to be the same this morning for your glory. Amen. 
Well, as John has already said, this morning is our second week uh, looking at this letter to the Thessalonians. Uh, And I want to begin again by asking you to think about a question for a few seconds. Uh, That is, who or what do you trust? Who or what do you trust? And then as you think about the answer to that question, why do you trust them? What makes someone or something trustworthy? It's an interesting question to think about, isn't it? Because I think we live in a time where trust is at an all-time low. I don't know about you, but I think as a society, we are, we are naturally sceptical and suspicious of others. I don't think this year has helped that at all. We're always looking for, for the catch or, or the hidden agenda or the, the secret motive. And so that, that lack of trust that, that we seem to have, it, it can be seen in our search for authenticity. Authenticity, a word that, that John's already used this morning, it's been a bit of a, a buzzword for the last few years, isn't it? Uh, whether it's our, our coffee or our celebrities, our food or our fashion, we want to know that what we're getting, what we're receiving is authentic. We want to know that it's real that it's honest, that it's genuine. And if you were with us last week, we heard how Paul begins this letter by reassuring the Thessalonian church that they are the real thing. They are genuine, authentic Christians. How did he know that? How could he say that so confidently? Well, we saw, didn't we, that it's because what they believed could be seen in the way they behaved. Their faith, hope, and love were visible for all to see, known around uh, the surrounding regions. It all flowed from a genuine, real relationship with the risen Lord Jesus. Paul said the Thessalonians were the real thing. But this week, as we come to chapter 2, we see that the focus shifts. In chapter 2, Paul moves from talking about the Thessalonians to talking about himself. And as we're going to see, he he wants to reassure them that he, the Apostle Paul, is the real deal. He wants to show them that, that his ministry, as short as it was among them, was true, authentic gospel ministry. The reason that Paul needs to defend himself like this is that since leaving Thessalonica, as we saw, persecution seems to have increased against the church. It's increased and it's come in the form of subtle but serious accusations against Paul himself. Those opposed to Paul and therefore opposed to the gospel were sowing the seeds of doubt and distrust among the Thessalonian Christians. You can imagine the kind of things they might have been saying. Are you sure this this bloke Paul can really be trusted? They'd say. After all, he he didn't hang around very long, did he? It seems like he was a bit like one of those travelling salesmen, out to make a bit of money, gain a bit of popularity, but as soon as he got what he wanted, well, he was off, he was gone. You've been taken in, Thessalonians. You've been duped. But don't worry. It happens to the best of us. Now you know that men like Paul, they can't be trusted. You see, opposition can be subtle, it can be sneaky, 
Uh, Sowing the seeds of doubt and distrust among God's people is a classic move for Satan. And so Paul is, is very aware of how dangerous this kind of opposition can be. He knows that an attack against his ministry is an attack against his message. If the Thessalonians lose trust in Paul, in his character, his motives, well, they'll be in danger of losing trust in the gospel itself. And so here in chapter 2, Paul sets out to prove that he is the real thing. His ministry is authentic gospel ministry. And we're going to see two big features of that ministry this morning. Authentic gospel ministry, we'll see, means preaching God's word. And authentic gospel ministry means loving God's people. So first, uh, preaching God's word. Look back at chapter 2, verse 1 with me. Uh, Paul says, You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know. But with the help of our God, we dare to tell you his gospel in the face of such strong opposition. Paul's focus is shifting from the Thessalonians to himself. Uh, But notice how he begins in verse 1. He says, you know, brothers and sisters. Uh, Paul's going to talk about himself for the rest of this chapter, but he's going to do it by reminding the Thessalonians of what they already know about him. And so verse 2, he says, you know how we previously suffered in Philippi. Last week we saw, didn't we, that the story of the Thessalonian church is recorded for us in Acts chapter 17. But Thessalonica was not Paul's first missionary trip. In fact, he arrived there having come from Philippi. And it was in Philippi that he preached the gospel and suffered for it severely. Acts chapter 16 tells us that that he was stripped, beaten and flogged before being thrown into prison for preaching about Jesus. It was only through prayer and a miraculous intervention from God that Paul and Silas were able to escape their prison cell and flee the city. But then having run away, what do they do next? What did battered, beaten and bruised Paul do with his God-given, miraculous freedom? Well, he went straight to the next town, to Thessalonica, and he began preaching the gospel there instead. And so in verse 2, he says to them, You know how we were treated in Philippi. You know how we suffered for preaching the gospel there. And you know that that did not stop us bringing the gospel to you also. And so Paul is saying, look, there is no way, no way on earth we would have done that if we weren't the real deal. There's no way that we would have left being beaten and battered in Philippi and come to you and carried on preaching the gospel unless God had given us the boldness, he says, to keep preaching in the face of such strong opposition. And so you see, preaching the gospel with Boldness with courage in the face of opposition is a mark of authentic ministry. And the same is true today. One way that you can tell that you are part of a real, authentic church is that the people, especially the leaders, are willing to keep preaching the gospel 
even as it becomes less and less acceptable in society. Which means one big implication for us this morning is that, that can I ask you to pray for me? Pray for me, pray for the other elders here at KCC, pray for Mike as he comes later in the year. Pray for us because as I mentioned earlier, uh, mentioned last week, Christians are increasingly being seen as the bad guys in society. And much of the heat, much of the, the opposition that will inevitably come will be directed towards church leaders first. And so we need you to pray. We need you to pray that God would continue to give us the boldness and the courage to keep preaching the gospel, even in the face of strong opposition. Because that is a mark of authentic gospel ministry. But it's not just preaching with boldness that Paul is concerned about, it's also preaching with purity. Look at verse 3. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. Remember, it seems that the accusations floating around Paul were that he wasn't all that he seemed. He was a trickster. He came to Thessalonica and he used deception and flattery and manipulation, all to kind of serve himself, to, to line his own pockets. And again, maybe you've heard something similar said of church leaders today. You need to watch out for those churchy lot, someone might say. They just suck you in, they, they take your money, they end up controlling your life. It, it's all a bit dodgy if you ask me. I'd stay well away from that king centre place. Well, it's a familiar accusation and it was one that was aimed at Paul. But in verse 4 he says, look, there's, there's not an ounce of truth to it. Verse 5, he says, look, you, you know that we never used flattery when we, were with, when we were with you. We didn't put on a mask. We weren't putting on a show to cover up our greed. Now, you know, don't you, Thessalonians, that, that our motives were pure, that, that we were open. We, we were honest with you, transparent when we were with you. You know it, says Paul, and more importantly, God knows it. End of verse 5, God is our witness. At the end of the day, Paul says, these, these opponents, they can say what they like about us. But it's God who knows our heart. A God who knows that our motives were pure. And it's his verdict that truly matters. Verse 4, Paul says, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We're not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. You see, Paul knows who he is really accountable to. He knows that the gospel has been given to him by God. And so he is in no way free to change it or to use it or to distort it in any other way other than what God has said. He's a steward. And as a steward, he has one task, to, to faithfully proclaim the gospel that God has given him. And that's what he says he's done for the Thessalonians. They know it, and God knows it. And can I say, there, there have been a number of examples over the last year of ministries that have fallen apart 
because the pastor has been driven by impure motives. Power, popularity, prestige. These things have been the driving factors that have led to some catastrophic failures in the church. And clearly, none of us here this morning are perfect. We, we all do things with mixed motives all of the time. And so rather than, than sit here and, and stand in judgment over those individuals, the best thing that we can do is to pray for them. Pray that they would be convicted of their sin. Pray that they would know the full forgiveness that comes from turning to Jesus in repentance and faith and trusting him. Pray that God would, would change those ministers' hearts and therefore their motives from self-glory to God's glory. Pray for them. Uh, but then also pray for ourselves. Pray that God would show us where we are tempted to do things from impure motives. Ask that God would show us the areas of our life that we are living for our glory rather than God's glory. At the places when we are tempted to please people more than, we're tempted, more than we want to please God. Because authentic gospel ministry, whoever we are, means preaching the gospel with boldness, but also with purity. Next we see that authentic Christian ministry means loving God's people. Uh, loving God's people, uh, because the, the search in society for, for authenticity isn't just limited to fair trade coffee and no filter Instagram, is it? it? It also includes big questions around things like leadership. And so whether it's the, the US election or British politics, school teachers or church leaders, we all want to know what makes a good, real leader. How should someone in a position of power treat those around them? What does a good use of authority look like? Those are big questions floating around at the moment. And they're important questions for us today, and they were important questions for the Thessalonians back then. We can see that in the way that Paul talks about this issue of authority in verse 6. Look there. As the people questioned his conduct and accused him of manipulation, he says, look, just remember who I am for a minute. Remember that, that I am an apostle. I'm a messenger commissioned by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. I don't need to use underhand tactics. I don't need to use deception. I could simply assert my apostolic authority to get people to do what I want. I could have thrown my weight around, says Paul. I could have made demands when I came to you. I could have exercised my position. And that would have been my right as an apostle. But he says, that's not how I chose to use my authority. Instead, verse 7, what does he say? We were like young children. Or if you look, your footnote might say, we were gentle among you. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. You see what Paul is saying? The apostles had a God-given authority over the Thessalonians. They were in charge. 
But they chose to use their authority by loving the Thessalonians with all the gentleness, kindness, care, compassion that a mother has for their child. It is an amazing picture of what authentic ministry should look like, isn't it? Just think for a minute of how devoted a mum is as she cares for her baby. She'll give up every ounce of energy, every minute of sleep to meet their needs. All her emotions, all her plans, all her thoughts are, are tied up with this precious life. She'll do anything and everything to ensure that her baby is safe, that they continue to grow up and develop as they should. And that is the picture Paul uses to, to, to describe what real ministry looks like. He goes on in verse 8, Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our lives as well. Paul didn't arrive in Thessalonica and post a couple of YouTube videos, record some podcasts, and then leave. Now he shared the gospel with them, and he shared his life with them. Verse 9, he worked night and day so he wouldn't be a burden, but a blessing to them as he preached Christ with them. And so you see, authentic ministry is more than just a weekly sermon. It is more than a weekly sermon. And don't, don't misunderstand that. It, it's not less than a weekly sermon. Paul's big focus in this letter and all his other letters is that he would continue to preach the gospel about Jesus. He, he writes to Timothy in another letter that in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who will judge the living and the dead and in view of his appearing in his kingdom I give you this charge. Preach the word. The regular, faithful preaching of the gospel is essential to the life of the church. We've seen that already this morning. It's essential, but it's not everything. Preaching the gospel comes in the context of a shared life. That's true for, for pastors who preach each week. But it's true for all of us who share the gospel with others. We are slowly, slowly coming out of a year for which, many, for which many of us has been marked by extreme loneliness. Society had already become more and more individualistic. We were already a country full of very lonely people. And that's only increased over this last year. And so as we read this chapter, we see that one of the key ways that the church can stand out in the culture is by sharing not only the gospel, but our lives with each other, our lives with those around us, whether that's people inside the church or outside. Authentic ministry is marked by an openness with other people. Real gospel ministry is seen in sharing our lives, not just our Sunday mornings. And so this has been a, a big prayer for me, and can I encourage you to pray the same, that to think and pray about these things as lockdown restrictions continue to ease over the summer. It's been a prayer for me, because if you're anything like me, uh, you've got quite used to having lots of me time over the last year. 
Evenings at home watching the TV have become normal. And so having people over or spending time with others, frankly, feels much more tiring than it used to. But Paul says real gospel ministry means sharing life together. And it's really important that we understand that 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 will look different for each of us. Paul isn't talking about baking and big Sunday lunches. Sharing life will look different depending on our circumstances, depending on our situations. But whoever we are, whatever our situation, we need to pray that God would grow in us a desire to get back to doing life together. We need to pray that God would show us the people that we can do that with starting this week. Authentic ministry, real ministry, is marked by sharing life together. Loving God's people like a mother, Paul says. And then in verse 11, he says it also means encouraging them like a father. Look at verse 11. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. There are all sorts of stereotypes when it comes to dads, aren't there? And and more often than not, they paint a picture of this kind of incompetent buffoon, the the Homer Simpsons, who, who don't really know what they're doing, why they're doing it, where they're meant to be, what they're meant to be doing, generally causing havoc around the place and needing mum to come along behind and pick up the pieces. That's this picture that that society can paint, but whilst the world might laugh at dads, the Bible paints a very, very different picture, doesn't it? The Bible says that dads are meant to be models to their children. They're to teach them about what it means to know and love the Lord. Show them what what it looks like to live as a follower of Jesus, a real Christian, as we heard at the beginning. And in verse 10, Paul says that is what he has done for the Thessalonians. Just as we saw last week, Paul's belief could be seen in the way that he lived. And so he was a model for the Thessalonians to imitate. Chapter 1, verse 6. But not only was was Paul a model for them, verse 11, he says he was an encouragement to them. Like Like a dad running alongside their child as they learned to ride their bike, Paul ran alongside the Thessalonians, shouting constant words of encouragement and comfort to them, urging them to keep going, keep living lives worthy of God, keep growing in love and holiness until Christ returns. It's a a ministry marked by encouragement, urging them on. And again, that, that kind of ministry is not limited to pastors. The writer of Hebrews says this to all Christians, to to the whole church. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. And so whether as a pastor or a life group leader, whether in youth work or women's Bible study, whether with your best mates at church or the people that you've barely met, all of us are called to this kind of authentic gospel ministry. 
All of us are called to, to love, care, model, encourage, comfort and urge each other on as we fix our eyes on Jesus and keep living for him, keep living lives worthy of God until he returns. And so let me ask just two questions as we draw things to a close this morning. The first question is this. Who are the people that do these things for you? Can you think of people this morning who, just like Paul, show this kind of love, care, encouragement and comfort to you? People who have modelled the gospel to you, people who have taught you about Jesus. They might be in this room. They might be family or friends from elsewhere. But just just think of those people in, in your mind at the moment. Picture them if you can. Because I'm going to pause in just a second and we're going to thank God for them. Thank God for the people that have done these things for us. Got them in your head? Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for those people who have been like mothers and fathers to us in the faith. Father, we thank you for those that have encouraged and urged and taught and modelled the gospel to us. Father, we thank you for them and we pray that we would uh, be like them to others. In Jesus' name, amen. There are those that have done this for us. And the second question is, who could you do this for? Who could you be this person to? Who has God put in your life to love and encourage? Who has he brought across your path that you could model and teach the gospel to? If you're, if you're not sure, then ask God to help you find those people because they are there. All of us are called to this kind of authentic gospel ministry. Whoever we are, whatever our situation, we are all called to this. And so again, we need to pray and ask God to help us to do these things more and more, as Paul says, in the weeks and months to come. Let's pray again as we close. Paul prays at the end of chapter 3 that the Thessalonians would, their, their love for each other would increase and overflow more and more. And so our Heavenly Father, we pray that would be true of us. Father, particularly in these weeks and months to come, would our love for each other and for the Lord Jesus increase and overflow in the way that we speak, the way that we act, the way that we share life and the gospel together. Father, please do that in and through us for your glory, we pray. Amen.